Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. And hello, Mike. How are you this week? Hey, Matt. I'm doing good, man. We're recording a little outside of our normal time. So if I'm a little quieter, it's probably because I'm a little tired. It is, yeah. it is late. A little BTS, a little behind the scenes. <laughs> Me and Mike are recording it in the evening, the late wee hours of the night. Yeah. We just so happen to both have some free time on a Sunday night. So we figured, hey, free up our week a little bit and talk about uh, a fantastic game from the 90s one of my favorites actually so yeah this I'm actually might catch that. us even better form we're not like just getting off work yeah i've done nothing but play video games and <laughs> and do household errands all weekend so it is nice to kind of do this at the end of like i've just i've just been on a two and a half hour bender final fantasy 16 so this uh, is a nice way to like put a period on the weekend yeah, right? yeah just end the weekend so we got a good one this week mike we've had some fun conversations in the previous weeks we've talked recapping the year splinter cell things of that nature and now we're back to a little console that i think is a favorite of both of ours yeah no definitely a super nintendo game i just recently received a Christmas present from my wife, which is a analog Super NT. And when Matt, you made the call to talk about the game we're talking about today, Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island. When you made the call to talk about this game, the one of the first things I did was actually pop that into the analog Super NT to see how this game played in that because uh, Yoshi's Island is a fantastic game. It's one of my favorites uh, from the Super Nintendo, one of my favorite platformers of all time. I love how it kind of changes the entire Mario formula and gives us something that is very new and very different. This game is less about getting to the end of the stage and getting there within a certain amount of time or finding secret exits or anything like that, even though there are plenty of secrets in this game. Yoshi's Island is a game and it really sets the tone for the entirety of the Yoshi series. It's a game about exploring the world that's put in front of you. We don't have a, a clock. We don't have a timer. In this game, what we do have is we have all of these collectibles that you can get and there's there's flowers where you get five of them and you get an extra life and they're hidden in every stage. 20 of your coins are actually red coins. And instead of having like health like Mario has where like he'll shrink and then ultimately die, Yoshi is carrying the baby version of Mario on his back. And you have these stars that represent kind of the amount of time you have after getting hit to save baby Mario or get baby Mario back before, I don't know what they are, like flying shy guy beak things. Yep, take away. The shy guys are always a staple of the Yoshi series. Well, that's something that has to be said, right? Because prior to this, the shy guys were an enemy that we knew from Super Mario Brothers 2 or which is a dream world which is not which even is, yeah which is not even real right yeah. so it's not even a real Mario game when it comes to it so Yoshi's Island or Yoshi in general has kind of adopted the Mario 2 or the Doki Doki Panic enemies as its enemies so the shy guys and the bezos and a lot of these other characters have kind of migrated to being Yoshi enemies which i think works really well with the with the visuals and and with the with the kind of design of it all 
But the reason why I brought up the Super NT and uh, Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island is because this game is in a unique position where it is incredibly difficult to emulate. This game used what is called the Super FX2 chip. So back in the 90s, we were all kind of talking about the Super FX chip and just how good it was and how it kind of changed things and was the most revolutionary chip that Nintendo could put in a, in a cartridge at the time. It was what they used for, for Star Fox and Stunt Race FX and, yep. Doom, and Doom, I believe, right? Doom on the Super Nintendo. Correct. Which have noticeably been more difficult games to emulate Yes, when you, when you have a ROM of these games. Exactly. And now there is the second chip, right? The S- the Super Effects Chip 2, which was used in Yoshi's Island. So it makes Yoshi's Island incredibly hard to, to emulate it, to the point where even the, I don't know what you want to call it, the GBA version of this game. I think it's Super Mario Advance 3. It is 3, you're right. It's Super Mario the Advance weirdest 3. naming in games. Incredibly weird. <laughs> the Super Mario Advance 3 version of this game isn't great. Like, I wouldn't play that version. The only version... I would play is the the Super Nintendo version. I think the Super Nintendo version is by far the best version of this game. And because it's so hard to emulate and because it's so difficult, uh, actually I, I I was I think I saw this on TikTok. It was one of the guys from the the Wolf Den, I believe. They're a Long Island based or Long Island New York based like YouTube team. They have a podcast I believe it's called Nintendo. And one of the guys on it was talking about how every time he gets a new emulator or a new device that runs Super Nintendo games, the first thing he does is play Yoshi's Island on it. So I thought about that and I put it in my Super NT, my original Yoshi's Island cart, and it worked perfectly. So it just goes to show you the Super NT is really, really good. But so is this game. This game is excellent. It's it's a very different take and I really enjoy it. I really enjoy getting the 100 points worth of collectibles at the end of the stage and unlocking more stages by doing that. I really like playing this different style of game. The artwork is incredible. The design is amazing. Like when you look at it, a lot of people might look at it and be like, oh, I don't understand why they needed the FX chip and all that stuff. But there's so much going on. There's so much like 3D stuff thrown in the background. The The depth of the of the stages in terms of like how far back the backgrounds go and different things happening. And like you could tell that this game really used um, a lot of what the super effects chip had. And they did some little funky tricks where like doors open in 3d and, and some of the bosses kind of operate in 3d. But I think the best thing we see, we see a lot of that stuff. And then the last boss in this game really just kind of looks incredible. And it's a really amazing and incredible fight. So this game has a lot. This game's got a lot going for it. Yeah. Before we get into some of the intricate details, and you started talking about some of the major points of this game, Mike, I wanted to kind of step back and talk about the Yoshi character and series at large in gaming, because most people know the character of Yoshi originated in Super Mario World. So several years before this, 1990 in Japan is when we got Yoshi for the first time. Yeah. But what's interesting about that, Mike, is after that, his next appearances were Yoshi's Cookie and then the Yoshi game, which was on the NES. So after mm-hmm. after being an SNES title, he actually got put on the NES and a late NES game, which these are more like puzzle type games. Are you familiar with the Yoshi and Yoshi Cookie games? Yes, I, I had Yoshi on the NES. I got Yoshi on the NES as a gift. And unfortunately realize it's it's really not that good of a game. Yeah, same thing happened to me. I got super excited. I saw the cover of the game. It's actually pretty cool box art. If you look, if you have the box art, it's a great shot of Yoshi. But the game itself, it, this is not 
nearly as good as Tetris or other puzzle games from that era. No, and it's really simplistic. The Yoshi game, I think you're just kind of moving like I don't really I it's it's hard to explain, but like it is. There's like you have like stacks of of like character pictures and you're just moving them around. It's it's really not very good, but it's a shame because they definitely a lot of if you were just an NES player in at that point in time and you didn't have a Super Nintendo yet, and you keep hearing about how great it is to like play Super Mario World with Yoshi. And then you don't when you get a Yoshi game and it's like, oh, you don't really play as Yoshi. That's lame. Yoshi's Cookie is pretty good. Yoshi's Cookie is a solid. A Yoshi's solid Cookie is a, is a bit better on the Super Nintendo, but I definitely think after the appearance of Super Mario World, it, it kind of did cheapen the character a little bit. So to now have Super Mario World 2, Yoshi's Island, getting him his real first adventure, and you are Yoshi in this game. The title says Super Mario World 2, but you are fully controlling, kind of like we talked about several weeks ago, the Donkey Kong game, 94. You're playing as Mario. Well, here you are playing as Yoshi in Super Mario World 2. Yeah, you're playing as Yoshi, and it works really well because his his abilities are, are different. Yoshi... Let's Obviously, go right there. Let's talk yeah. about his unique way that he traverses and is the mechanics to Yoshi because they became staples. What are some of the things, Mike, that you recall about Yoshi's movement that became like famous for his character in this game? Well, we know that Yoshi likes to eat things, right? And in this game, Yoshi is kind of like a protector guardian for baby Mario. So yep. the whole the whole story of the game is the stork is taking baby Mario and baby Luigi to their parents' house, wherever that may be. It's I don't think it's Brooklyn, but who knows? It, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to try to figure that out. Whatever. And the stork drops baby Mario onto Yoshi's Island. And the Yoshis team up, all of them, to bring Mario home. But in the meantime, there's people getting in their way. So Yoshi has this incredible set of, I don't know, verbs, I guess you would say. First of all, he can use his tongue to eat things, right? And when he uses his tongue to eat things, first of all, it's got a great range, but also when he eats stuff, you can hit down and he will make an egg, right? Yoshi will make an egg out of eating an enemy, or he could spit the enemy out. When the egg is made, it's like, okay, cool. What do I do with these eggs? When the egg is made, you can go into this little like aiming uh, mode, right? Where Yoshi can actually just shoot and fire and throw eggs at things. And this creates an incredible amount of options on how you can find things in this game, how you can defeat enemies, how you can use the eggs and the environment to kind of get around things and, and solve puzzles and stuff. So it's really amazing to understand like just how different and unique and odd it would it was. To Mike, it almost seems like they took the game of billiards and they were like, hey, Yoshi's ability to throw eggs, we're going to make the users have to try and play angles and deflect things and shoot your eggs into certain corners. And it could be tricky in the beginning to get the hang of that. But then by the end of this game, when you're several worlds through, you get really good at aiming the eggs yeah. at specific enemies and puzzles throughout the game. Yeah, by the end of the game, you're you're like a sniper with that thing. Right? <laughs> you're like you're, a ninja. You're, yeah, you're shooting eggs all over the place. They're bouncing off stuff. You're getting different colored eggs that get you different things when they hit things. And it's it's amazing. It's it's so much different 
than what you would expect out of a regular Mario game. And Mario really doesn't throw stuff. He kind of sometimes does now, but still at that point in time, nobody was doing that. And that's just like a part portion of what this game kind of offers. Yoshi also gets his flutter jump in this game. So pretty much like everything that you see Yoshi do in a game like Smash Brothers really starts here, right? So Yoshi gets his flutter jump. So you're in midair and then you can hold the jump button and Yoshi will kick his legs to kind of further his jump or stay in the air for a longer period of time. So this creates this kind of incredible locomotion of running and jumping and fluttering through the air. And this would be cool in a game that was all about speed and getting to the end quickly. But what this does is it allows you to traverse different areas of the map in each stage to find secrets and to find all the special items you got to collect and to find new ways of shooting eggs and things like that and find bonus stages and do all these things. So Yoshi has like this incredible amount of movement that he can do. And this is before we got like the baby Yoshi voice. So this is before that. So this is Yoshi still kind of like this dinosaur who doesn't really pronounce anything which part of that I do prefer than than the kind of baby, baby voice that Yoshi has. But I really enjoyed just how different. Yeah, the the gameplay was was incredibly fresh. I mean, say what you want. I know some people were expecting Mario World 2. Super Mario World, some people think, is an absolute masterpiece. And people were expecting more of that. But this is a very different game, but very fresh. There's nothing like it. You talked about the, the spawning of the eggs. You talk about the flutter jump. The flutter jump is very different. If you're used to controlling Mario, it's very precise jumping. The weight of Mario is very specific in all the games. This is not that. When you jump and we use the flutter jump, he like scurries down before shooting back up. It's this swoop type jump. And it takes a while to get used to that. It's a little awkward and funky, but that's kind of what makes gives Yoshi his his personality. Yeah, it's a totally different way of doing that. And it's also different than how Peach operates when she jumps, right? And she has kind of that little glide with the that she can she can do. So it's crazy how Nintendo will make four three or four different platforming games and the lead characters in each of them will be completely different in how they operate, right? Yep. So Yoshi operates differently than Mario does, who operates differently than Peach does, who operates differently than Wario does. So you have all of these amazing, like very interesting different move sets that like all of these characters get. And it creates wholly different experiences based on completely. who the game is based for. And that's what's so interesting, Mike, is I'm gonna kind of take a further step back. Mario games, you don't really get sequels. Lost Levels, you can say, mm-hmm. is a true sequel to 2D games. But Nintendo takes a fresh approach, which each Mario game that we got in the States, they're coming, including this one as well. When you look at any other game developer, if something works, they're bound to make a direct sequel that's exactly the same. And you can look at Sonic 1, 2, and 3. Sorry, Sonic. But those games are more or less building upon the core mechanics. And you can look upon many other platformers or just games of, of that era. And Nintendo was brave enough and sometimes foolish enough. They could have made a replica of Mario 3 or Mario World and sold millions of copies and just expanded upon it. But they said, no, we're not going back to the well. We're doing something completely different. And this is as fresh of an idea as any. Oh, absolutely. And it had been in America, it had been four years, right? In Japan, I think it was five years since we had seen a quote unquote mainline Mario game. And Mario 64 was only about a year away. So, 
they had to do something. They wanted to do something different and unique and kind of, kind of like a way to like ship the Super Nintendo off and like kind of thank it for its service. This is one of the last big games that the Super Nintendo would have as 1996 rolls around. You have like Kirby and Kirby's whatever, Kirby's Dreamland 3 or whatever, and, and Super Mario RPG and stuff like that. But like, at this point, the Super Nintendo was at the end of its life. So they were making some of their most interesting and unique games for the Super Nintendo at this time. And it's a total curveball to buy a game in America, that is, that says Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island and get a game where you don't play as Mario, you play as Yoshi. And while you might recognize some of the villains, you're not really seeing your Goombas and your Koopas. Now, this game does have Koopa Troopers in it and has Paracoopas and it has some of those things. It has Bowser, but Bowser's a little kid. So this is like the the precursor to Bowser Jr. that we would see later on in Super Mario Sunshine. But I actually like baby Bowser better than Bowser Jr. I think he's he's a bit better. And while Bowser baby Bowser's kind of like your main antagonist at the end, the real villain of this game is Kamek. Kamek's yeah, the one who's that. trying to steal baby Mario. And Kamek is is he's like the wizard, right? He's Bowser's wizard and he's clearly his like caretaker when he was a little kid. I think he's underutilized as a villain. I, I think he has a small appearance in Super Mario World, and I mm-hmm. love that he takes star villain role here. And I think underutilized in Mario, in Mario World, in Mario games, and Mario Universe. Mm-hmm. I love that he kind of got upgraded in the Mario movie and got a little more screen time. I like that he just was added to Super Mario Kart. I'm sorry, excuse me. He was added to Mario Kart Eight Deluxe, so now yep. we have we can race as Kamek. And even to the point where I think his horn makes the sound he makes in in Yoshi's Island. So what Kamek does is he's kind of like the guy who's trying to get baby Mario, trying to grab him. He's trying to, he's sending his like forces of flying bird things to steal baby Mario and I guess take him to Bowser's, Bowser's castle. You go through all these castles and fortresses throughout Yoshi's Island and you'll fight enemies and the bosses of these of these stages of these fortresses and castles that you go to they start out very small right and then kamek hits him with magic and they they go through some giant transformation it's a really cool scene almost it's every single great. time it happens yeah every time you see one of these enemies be enlarged or as you said the wizard powers the magic powers make them large versions of themselves it's really cool they look goofier and sillier than all these enemies already do and it's it's fun battling each of them at the end of each world yeah it's really good they're really in, intelligent and fun boss fights to play yeah. because it's not just hop on their head three times and kill them you have to use the skills that yoshi has and all of his different moves and his moveset to kind of use them against your your enemies and that means shooting eggs off walls and that means bouncing stuff and that means hiding in little ditches so you don't get squashed some of the boss fights really stand out in this game we would see one of these boss fights i think was was heavily inspirational to super mario galaxy the fight the fight with remy the raven where you fight him on a, a little circular moon and you actually have to like run around this little moon and and you have to get remy the raven we would see that i believe in in Super Mario Galaxy, we, there's a there's a boss that you fight by drilling through the planet with a drill, clearly based off of 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 this fight that you have with Remy the Raven. 
And I think that the boss fight with Bowser at the end is is one of the best, where he goes full on kaiju, and you have to throw giant eggs at at this gigantic Bowser. And who's it just does get sort of close. challenging too. Some of these end levels and bosses, they're not easy. I know Nintendo people say, "Oh, games are easy," and even you think with the art style, but it does get more challenging, Mike. Oh, absolutely, it gets very challenging, especially if you unlock the bonus stages in each world. So I, I keep saying that each each stage in this game has this like collector score. If you get all 20 rings, I'm sorry, excuse me. If you get all 20 red coins, you get all 30 stars and you get all five flowers, you get a 100% on the stage. And if you get a hundred percent on every stage in the world, you'll unlock like this little bonus mini game stage, but then you'll also unlock an incredibly difficult. Now I think stage. I could be wrong. I think that's exclusive to the GBA version. No, because the GBA version I know has exclusive GBA, levels. GBA version does have exclusive levels, but right. in the original game, if you did there, it, there's no. like two extra stages at the end of every world. You're right. And they are very, very tough, uh, even in the first world. Now, like, something really, I didn't really know, Mike, that the SNES version has two player mini games that you can only access via like a button combination that you type in. And I was completely unaware of this. So I, I read up preparing. I, for game. I love that. I've never love done it. that. I've never done that. I love button combinations that unlock secret stuff. I, yeah, I, it's, it's like, so cool. It's like you're re. It's like you're breaking. It's like you're breaking all the. It's like you're breaking the code. Yep, it's so cool. And you said this game, a lot of levels, forty-eight levels, six worlds, a wonderful amount of content. The game is. I don't think it overstays its welcome, but it's not short and quick either. It's like the right amount of time for a platformer. Yeah. And like you said, the level design, really good. But there's something I want to spend a little more time on. You talked about the super FX to microchip that's mm-hmm, used mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm. I think the art style, when people talk about this game, I think that is the single most distinguishing important part of this game. Do you agree, Mike? Yeah, I think so. I think that I think that that's what st- sets it apart from a lot of other stuff. I, I like that part of the, the thing, part of the the kind of methodology with the Yoshi games in general is that we want to give them a unique and different art style than other stuff. So this game looks like nothing else on the Super Nintendo. And it makes a lot of sense because because there's so much of a like a theme here where you have this child, right? And I think, and this is probably apocryphal, but this is a story that I've heard float around that this the idea from this game happened when like a lot of the like execs at Nintendo and like the head designers were like had young kids and they were just dealing with their kids crying all the time and never sleeping. So they came up with this game where <laughs> you're carrying around this crying baby the whole time. That's probably not, I don't know if that's a hundred percent true, but it, the timeline kind of works out. If Miyamoto's <laughs> like in his mid sixties right now, or like 65 or something like that, or close to 70, like it kind of works out because that would be like, like close to 30 years ago. So it's, it's one of those things where, the art style is, is is great because you have this child, right? You're carrying this baby around and the art style of the whole game looks like it's almost, it's been drawn with crayon, right? It's been drawn with crayon and colored pencil. So it looks like a children's like art book. Yeah. Right? It's, it's all hand-drawn, which is absolutely fantastic. You and me have talked yeah. about hand-drawn games in the past, the, the Wario game on Wii, Cuphead, anything that is hand-drawn, I'm immediately drawn to. And the color book style, as you said, it's it's eye-catching, it's special, it's unique, and I'm sure it takes a lot longer to develop, I would think, than most other games, Mike. 
I have a friend right now, and I might have brought this up at the podcast. I have a friend, my friend Brendan, he's working on a, a sprite-based 2D platforming game. And the game is coming along really well. I played a demo of it. It's awesome. It's called Nixie. You can search it out. It's N-I-X-I-E because I think it's, I believe the website is nixiegame.com, but just Google Nixie. And he's been telling me just how difficult it is to take a, a, a picture that he drew in Illustrator or Photoshop or whatever, and then having to convert it to pixels. It's very difficult. He goes, it's such a painstaking, long <laughs> tedious process and that's why it kind of it's kind of unfair where in our current world as gamers we see a game with sprites and people automatically assume it should be cheaper because it looks older it's actually harder to make the art on that than a or it could potentially be harder to make the art for that than like a triple a game that's using an engine not saying that's easy because that's also not easy at all. And there sure. are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of artists that work on these games. But there's engines that can replicate models and yeah. make things yeah. quicker and faster. What I'm trying to say, there's no faster way to hand draw something. No. And what I'm saying is here is that like a lot of times 3D rendered games and, and stuff that uses engines, the artwork is usually bigger, usually more intense. There's usually way more assets that you need ultimately in the end. So I'm not trying to say one's more difficult than the other or one works harder than the other. No, 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 no. We just have to hold hand-drawn games and games that use pixel art graphically at the same level as we do any 3D game because it's it's very, very difficult. And a lot of times these games that use pixel art are, used, are made by much smaller teams because the perceived value and the perceived cost of them is much less, even though that's wrong. Yeah, we immediately um, in, in gaming world, especially younger gamers, want to punish a game when they see hand-drawn. Yep. They're like, oh, that looks old. I remember when Octopath Traveler was like first coming out, people were like, why would I pay $60 for Octopath Traveler? It's like, dude, they're using sprites. You don't understand just how much work that that takes. But anyway, back to Yoshi's Island without that tangent. Yeah, the, the hand-drawn art and the pixel art in this game is some of the best. Some of the best ever. I, I, I It's unique. It's original. It's so charming to look at. Like I can look at the box art on this game too. And like the game looks like the box art, right? It looks like it. It's got this hand-drawn coloring book look to it. And Nintendo really hasn't been able to recapture that style in all of the different Yoshi games that they've gone with since. Yoshi's Island DS is fine. It's okay. It's kind of using a similar style. Not as good. Yoshi's New Island, yeah, it's a decent game. It's using a similar style on the 3DS. But Yoshi's again, story on the 64 is a complete departure. They were just like in 3D heaven at that point. I am. I would like to say this about Yoshi's Island. I mean, Yoshi's story on the N64. Yoshi's Island on the N64 is a bad game. I know people like it. It's a bad game. A lot it's, of fetch quests. It's but but it's also like yeah, it's, it's it seems it's, uninspired to the art. They were just at that point, everything was three D. Let's make everything in three D. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But and, I feel like they didn't approach it like they did this game. No, and like and like it's just a dirty looking game. You got like fruit all over the outside of the thing. You have to find melons in order to play the game properly. It's stupid. I, I don't like Yoshi's Island. I was so burned by Yoshi's Island when I got it because I was so excited to finally get a true sequel to Yoshi's Island. Yoshi's uh, Story, yeah. Yoshi's Story, my bad, my bad. I was so burned by Yoshi's Story 
when I got it because I was so excited to get a true sequel or a follow-up to Yoshi's Island, a game I was obsessed with. I loved this game. And I, I got it on it by accident. I got it as a gift from a family member who was like, hey, what would you want? We were at a Toys R Us. And they'd asked me, they were like, hey, what would you want? There was a separation anxiety, which was like the sequel to, Marvel, uh, to Maximum Carnage, Spider-Man and Venom. I was like, oh, that looks cool. I kind of want that. And then there was Yoshi's Island. And separation anxiety was like 70 bucks. And Yoshi's Island was like 50 bucks. And I remember being like, I was like nine, right? Or eight or nine years old. Yeah, I was like nine years old. And I was just like, ah, I don't want to make them spend too much money. I'm like, I'll get Yoshi's Island. And I had so much more fun with Yoshi's Island than I ever had with separation anxiety, which I probably beat once or twice. And Yoshi's Island, I've been playing for like 30 years. So I was so excited for Yoshi's story to come out. And then I got it. And then I played it. And I was like, ugh, I don't well, like this. Well, Mike. Following that, let me actually hit you with some of the other following Yoshi games because I kind of want to look at the Yoshi series now and what's followed. Yeah, let's just do it. quickly hit me with your quick, maybe like, dislike, what we think of these. So after that, we got a game called Yoshi Topsy Turvy in 2004 at the GBA. Any any time in with this game? I'm never crazy about those motiony games. I wasn't a big fan of Topsy Turvy. There's probably fans of it out there, but it's okay, I guess. Then you get Yoshi Touch and Go in 2005 on the DS. Another one that was like that was like a launch game, I think, for the DS, and there was not a lot for no, DS was... at launch. Most people were just playing Super Mario 64 again. A friend of the show, Bill Burns, I think, believe that's his that's his experience with Mario 64. To which I'm like, why why would you do that? No, it's awful. That game is hard to play on the controls. The hey man, respect respect to Bill, like major respect to Bill. But in the end, it's like, why would you do that to yourself? Then Yoshi's Island did get a direct sequel in 2006, Yoshi's Island DS. It's all right. It's all right. I mean, the DS, there's some things with the DS that worked way more conceptually than they did in practice. And having stuff happen on the top and bottom screen at the same time when you're playing a platformer is really hard to work, especially if you're playing on the original DS. I found it more helpful when you're managing like a map or an inventory. Yes. Versus yes. having to actually play gameplay or like use the stylus to do gameplay on both. Yeah, no, that is 100% true. And you know what? It Yoshi's Island DS works better on DS Lite or yeah. a DSi, but the original DS, oh God. Oh God, it's bad. <laughs> I mean, that those screens are like not even lined up properly. Oh, it's that's hard to play on. So the, original, like, the yeah. original DS looks like a McDonald's container. Like it looks like the hotcakes or the big uh, breakfast. I container. think most of the the Game Boy consoles, as each one came out, the advancements were much better. The same thing with DS. I mean, the early DSs, the early GB Game Boy advances, as oh, yeah. the iterations of them got much better. Same thing with 3DS. I mean, yep. all these got better as they made iterations. I actually think that the the original GBA form factor is really, the really good. The purple one with the shoulder buttons on top. Yeah, I think that one's really, really good. Now, obviously, the SP with the clamshell design that can easily fit in your pocket that has a backlight is is awesome. But if you're to get a, if you go and get an original GBA with a backlight in it and an L uh, and a uh, and a better screen, like a old, I think they, I'm not sure if they have an OLED for the GBA. People mod them, so I don't know if there's an OLED for it, but there's definitely like an LED screen. It's incredible. I mean that's yeah, really I've really seen good. Those they're, they're not beautiful. they're not cheap to buy. What? No. What? Not, they're like not. three to four hundred dollars. Exactly. We, they get sold at Long Island Retro Gaming Expo, which you can go to from August 11th <laughs> to the 13th at the Cradle of Aviation. <laughs> After that, Mike, seven years later, we got a direct sequel to Yoshi's New Island in the 3DS. Do you have any hands-on time with this one? Yes, I do. I've played all the Yoshi games, all of them. 
because I like Yoshi's Island so much. Yoshi, Yoshi's New Island is, at the time, it was the best like follow-up to the original Yoshi's Island that we had had. And I played this game while I was on a work trip. Wow. Um, avoiding avoiding like talking to the other people I was on the trip with by just playing this game because I did, I wasn't crazy about the people on the trip. <laughs> it's okay. Hope it's not not bad. I hope they're not listening right now because we have a lot of listeners, Mike. It could be any of those people. Well, they better learn, man. <laughs> <laughs> the game's all right. It's not bad. No, it's it's absolutely fine. Yoshi's New Island. It's it's not bad. But after that, we got one that I think is interesting, and that is Yoshi's Woolly World. That was in 2015. Then we also got a version of it in 2017 on the 3DS. But originally on the Wii U. What are your thoughts on Woolly World? I actually really liked Woolly World. Woolly World is the closest we get. It's the closest we get to the original Yoshi's Island. Its design is incredible. I love the fact that Yoshi's made out of yarn. I bought one of the yarn yarn Yoshi amiibo. I love that the the stages are like made out of like fluff and the and puzzles and the art and, style really embrace that whole yarn feel. Yeah, and I feel like it's the first time they truly got creative with the art style since the original. I agree completely, and I really enjoy Woolly World. I, I think it's great. I was also a big fan of Kirby's Epic Yarn. So Yeah, they kept that going for the Kirby series. And the most recent one, Mike, was Yoshi's Crafted World, which is a Switch game, and actually used the Unreal Engine, which is like not an always a Nintendo thing. But do you have any hands-on time with that one? Yeah, it game's all right. It's fine. It's, it's okay. I, yeah. I, don't love, I don't love it. I do like the art style. Like I like that it looks like an activity book. and you It's get, not like, a bad-looking game. But I don't think the level design, it does a lot of weird like 3D stuff on the levels. And you have to like go back to the levels from behind. It does yeah. some weird stuff. We have to like backtrack. But I do agree with you. The wooliness is much better than the craftedness yeah, that we got on the yeah. Switch. Listen, I powered to them for for being creative. But yeah, I love that I, the series is still uh, alive. And I'm sure we'll get, they probably do one Yoshi game for the Switch. We probably are not getting another Yoshi title after Crafted World. But I don't think Yoshi is, is is anywhere close to like F-Zero or Star Fox territory. No, no. Yoshi will happen. They'll make another one. They'll probably come out with another Yoshi game in a year or two. I mean, he's a lousy Smash Brothers character. I'm sorry, guys. His recovery is real bad. Yoshi stinks. He's. I mean, <laughs> I know some people who are like real good with Yoshi in Smash Brothers. Sure. But like, I mean, okay. Good no, for you. Like, you're not really seeing good people you. win. You're not seeing pros winning with Yoshi. I mean, unless they're playing like scrubs like me. Sure. Yeah, sure. They can beat us. But this game, Mike, Yoshi's Island, Super Mario World 2, came to the States October 4th, 1995. Of course, got a GBA port in 2002, which they titled that crazy name, Super Mario Advance 3, is an all-time platformer. It got universal acclaim, which sold over 4 million copies, which- That's really good. Really That's good. Really for, good. For a new series, for a Yoshi series- Obviously, you talk about it's praised for the problem, the problem solving, the puzzle solving, the game, the item collecting of the flowers and the coins. It actually debuted Baby Mario's, as you talked about before. Maybe it's some some hidden thing of the designers who are living a double life at home and then coming back to work and reliving those the, the crying. But that hit kind of interesting for me. I don't know about you. I was like you said, 10, 11, 12 years old, playing this for the first time. And every time I heard Yoshi lose Baby Mario and I heard that cry. I just wanted to turn the game off so fast. And it took me as like a teenage, like an older teenager and adult to come back to this game and realize the beauty of it. That drove the crying was so annoying, Mike. Well, well I mean, that just means you you gotta get not get hit, Matt. 
Right. I got to be better. I got to get good. You got to get good, (laughs) dude. But this game was kind of famous for, they wanted to punish you. Anytime you lost, got hit, and Mario was kind of sitting there crying, you better get back to him fast. You're going to hear a terribly annoying noise. Oh, it is very annoying. It is very annoying. So you make sure to never get hit in this game. But purposely, I feel like they make it annoying absolutely on purpose. It's also also very anxiety-inducing. Absolutely. Like you said, there's no timer in the game, but that is like a timer. Yeah, no, it is. It absolutely is. And you better get Baby Mario or things are going to get bad. They, they, they absolutely do. But this game is brilliant. It's worth playing. It's, I think, like you said, the peak of the series. It's, it's very interesting where you get one of seven, eight games and the first one was the best. Yeah, no, that's, 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 sometimes that happens. Sometimes they get better over time. Hopefully we're, hopefully we haven't played the best Yoshi game yet. Uh, I like that positive approach. We will get the breath of the wild of Yoshi games real soon. Yoshi of the wild. You mean you mean <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom, right? Of course. Oh, uh, yeah. We, every expression we use now, we can't give credit to Breath of the Wild anymore. It all goes to that T-O-T-K. That's right. It's now the Tears of the Kingdom of yeah. whatever series you're talking about. Yeah. So any closing thoughts on this game that it, game rankings, it didn't quite have Metacritic back then, but game rankings all put this game in the 90s plus universal <laughs> praise for the for the visuals the sounds the, the gameplay mechanics this was all so fresh i feel like some people are tired of the yoshi games of late because they still have a flutter jumps they'll throw eggs they'll do a lot of these core things but this game did it first did it great and is one of the best games on the super nintendo yeah i think this is a top tier super nintendo game it's one of the best games of the generation it's definitely in the top few best games of 95 like i would put this alongside chrono trigger and um, donkey kong country 2 uh, being among the best games of the year and it is withstood the test of time way better than a lot of other games that came out around the same time and it's very special and i think it's a game that has aged better than it was originally perceived i, I think when this game came out while it scored very well people kind of didn't I mean, it sold a lot, but there was kind of like this pushback, right? There was like, oh, this is not really a Mario game, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately over time, I think the specialness and the uniqueness of Yoshi's Island is what stands it apart from everything else. It was the pretty much the initial game in a brand new genre, which is Yoshi. Yeah, I love that you said the lasting impact and the aging of this game because I loved Star Fox. I loved F-Zero, but those games are hard to come back to today. And that's not... It's not uncommon for some Super Nintendo games. Some have aged better than others. Obviously, 16-bit in general has aged pretty well, but this game specifically is probably one of the best games visually to look back at. I I couldn't agree more. But isn't it weird how like by the time we get to 32-bit, 64-bit, and even like PS2 and Xbox era, right? People would talk about like old games as looking bad. Right, they would say, "Oh, it doesn't look as good." It doesn't blah blah blah. It's this, that, and the other thing. Something happened, and I don't know what exactly, but I could only probably give it credit to kind of the proliferation and the birth of the indie scene that made people go back and look at Super Nintendo games and Nintendo and NES games and 16-bit and 8-bit games and go, "Actually, no, wait, these games actually look incredible. They're just old." Yeah, right? there's very few. N64 and PS1 games that look as good as this game. And most of them if are any. 2D. Most of yeah. them are 2D when they right. do. So if we're talking about N64 and, and 
N64 games that look as good as this, like Paper Mario, maybe? Or Symphony of the Night, if you're on Symphony, PS1. I mean, Symphony, it's very yeah, few. Symphony of the Night, yeah. I mean, games wouldn't look this good again until indie games really started coming out. And you're looking at games like Shovel Knight and, and, and Cuphead, right? That have these unique art styles that look impressive. And Hollow Knight and Dead Hollow Knight. Yeah, I would, I would... really done things that you can't do on the old consoles, but are 2D. Yeah. Yeah, visually, I would probably put this game in the same camp as like a game like Cuphead or or Hollow Knight, like you said, or maybe one of those games that's a little bit more animated and, and drawn than than something else. So, I mean, this game's fantastic. I think this game, if you if you kind of wrote it off when it came out and never played it, I highly suggest you go and give it a shot. Yeah, I do agree. Like you said, the SNES is the best way to play this game. It's now been put on everything the snes classic mini it has it on there it's on the snes online for the nintendo switch online this was available in rom from in a virtual console for the wii and wii u before it closed up this game as you said is on the gba as well and it's not the worst place to play it it is absolutely accessible and fine on the gba yeah no it's 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 fine it's just not the best version of the game and if you are going to play it now in 2023, I think you could probably get away with playing it on the Nintendo Switch Online, yeah. or if you're lucky enough to have a Super Nintendo Classic. Yeah, the save states on the Nintendo Switch Online do make these games a little easier to swallow if you have limited time or you're a little younger gamer, don't have the patience for some of these games. But this game is definitely worth your time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that is the game of the week. That is the game of really... I'd say the end of the Super Nintendo. It was really one of the finer late games of the Super Nintendo, Mike. Well, the N64 would be out a year later. So this was the last great hurrahs. This was like the, the beginning of the victory lap for the Super Nintendo. Totally. So that's our game. Uh, thank you guys, as always, for listening. And I want to thank Mike, as always, for joining us here on the Hall of Fame pod. Mike, where can people out there, if they've just learned about the internet if they've just ventured onto the world wide web where could they find you yeah you can find me here every week on the hall of fame video game podcast you can also find me with my band bad mary you can search us on the internet bad mary or bad mary band or badmary.com you can also find me with my other podcast the batman tastic cast which you can uh, search us out on social media we talk about batman and last but not least from October 11th to the 13th, I'll be at the, it's not October, geez, from August 11th to the 13th. Please don't push it back, Mike. Please don't. I won't. I won't do that <laughs> to you. That. August and October always screw me up because I know that August is the eighth month and it should be October and it's not because of Julius and Augustus Caesar. So from August 11th through the 13th at the Cradle of Aviation Museum here in Long Island, I will be at the Long Island Retro Gaming Expo working in the museum section, but we I work with them all the time. So if you search us out at Long Island Retro, LI Retro on social media, you can uh, find us and find all the cool things we're doing at the Expo, but also the cool things we do uh, at other points of the year. I host a podcast for them. I also do some videos and stuff like that. So be sure to check out that for all your retro gaming needs. Awesome stuff. Guys, please do check out our back catalog. It has some of the best recordings and commentary on some of the best video games ever done. That is it for us this week. Please do follow us on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or shoot us an email. We are at the Hall of Fame Pod at gmail.com. That is it for this week. We hope you guys enjoy the rest of July and we'll see you guys all next time. Later. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. 
Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time.